All right, so we find ourselves in the Gospel of Mark, kind of making our way through. And it's uh, the shortest of the four Gospels, right? Now, when I say the four Gospels, we know there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. John's kind of written a little bit later. And there's a name that we give these first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Have you ever heard of it? The Synoptic Gospels? And uh, that name itself will kind of let you know what the Synoptic Gospels are all about. So what does the word Synoptic mean? It really means with the same eyes, the same optics, the similar optics. And so you're going to find that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's a lot of similar stories. Maybe told at different points, maybe emphasized in different ways, maybe with a little bit of different twist, but all of it gives us a much richer, fuller, and deeper picture of who Jesus is. All of it speaks to us, and we end up kind of putting it all together, uh, and that's how we kind of fit uh, the life of Christ and what that life looks like. And then also, how does that life have meaning for us now. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to do a, a little in-depth dive here in the book of Mark. And you remember me saying, you know, Mark is our shortest of all of the Gospels, only 16 chapters. And so Mark doesn't, you know, mess around. He goes right at it. It's fast-paced. And uh, you're not going to get bored reading the book of Mark. But, you know, what we find here today is Jesus kind of shakes up church, doesn't he? Kind of shakes up the synagogue. You know, I find myself, I, I just, I guess I'm, I, I have to say, I, uh, out of, as a confession, I'm not always the best listener. Now, I must say, I do better listening uh, here at work, here at the church, you know, in meetings, things like that. But uh, my wife usually pays the price for that because when I get home, I'm kind of tired of listening. And so I, I kind of turn it off. And, and I go into, uh, I call it scan mode. And in scan mode, I, I'm looking for a few words, right? Do is one of those words, you know, that I'm looking for. Uh, or haven't done, which then needs to come back with some type of an apology, and I get that. And then uh, every once in a while, I, uh, I hear you know, one of the three Fs, because I kind of scan for these three Fs, food, football, and fun. I'm always listening for that. Now, this phenomenon, my wife calls it selective hearing, is not just limited to me. I, I think we all kind of have this capability from time to time. It can be kind of a, an epidemic. You know, a New York Times columnist set out to prove that no one really listens anymore. And so he set up a social experiment. He arrived late at one of the uh, elite social parties. The hostess greeted him, and then he explained why he was late. He said, you know, sorry I'm late. I had to stop and murder my mistress on the way here, and it took a little longer than I thought it would. 
And without blinking an eye, the hostess replied, oh, bless your heart. I was almost late myself. We're also quite busy. Come on in and enjoy yourself. As he was at the party and he began to mingle with others, uh, someone asked him, well, what do you do for a living? And he said, oh, um, I'm an executioner for the state penitentiary. And the person then responded, that must be quite interesting line of work that you're in. So how is business going for you lately? Like I said, this phenomena of selective listening has been going on for a while. And you know what? I think sometimes it even happens when the preacher gets up to talk, right? Sometimes you're like, huh, is that funny or do I need to do something else? You know? Start thinking, what, what about my grocery list? What about my to-do list? What are the things I have to do? So we kind of scan, right? A little selective hearing going on. Because sometimes, without realizing it, we, we end up kind of like we're in Capernaum, you know, in a lakeside resort, going to church, kind of a sleepy little area. And guess what? The minute we find ourselves getting a little sleepy in church, going into scan mode, Jesus shows up. And it has something profound to teach us something profound that's going to affect and touch our lives. I mean, that's exactly what we find here in our scripture lesson today. And one of the first things that just kind of blows everybody's socks off, Jesus taught with authority. Now, Jesus is he's different. He's different than they normally had in the synagogue. It was different than the scribes. Now, how is Jesus different than the scribes? Well, here's what scribes would do. They would come in, you know, they would take the Torah, they would take the scroll, it would be open to the assigned reading, they would read it, and then they would either quote other Hebrew scriptures to support that, or they would have memorized a passage about the writings, the traditional way of interpreting this, and they would share that. They didn't speak from any of their own authority. They spoke from what you might call the authority of tradition. Jesus doesn't do that. At least that's what becomes implied here. And the emphasis here is also interesting because Usually when we talk about Jesus and we talk about Jesus' teaching, what do we do? We focus on the teaching. That's not happening here. We're not told what he taught. We're focused on the way he taught it and that he taught it with one who has authority. Now, you know, if I was to guess what Jesus was to preach about. Other thing is, we, we know as we look at the other Gospels and kind of put it together, I mean, Jesus was always kind of blowing people's socks off with the things that he said, with the way sometimes he would even fly in the face of tradition. And this, these thoughts that we take for kind of granted, well, first century Jews would have seen this as incredibly radical, 
But you know, some of the things he likes to teach about, well, one of the first one is that God is love and that there is forgiveness through God and not just the law. God, that just shocks everybody. Or he could have been, another thing he loves to talk about is the kingdom of God. He's got a lot of great parables and stories about the kingdom of God, and he's always talking about that. Or he could have been teaching about loving others as more important than loving the law. All of those things would have been radical. We hear that and go, yeah, that sounds like the Jesus we know. But again, it wasn't about what Jesus was teaching. It was about how he was a teaching because he was teaching with authority. So I want to pose this kind of a question. I mean, is it that Mark doesn't care about what Jesus taught? And I would say, I think there's something deeper here. And I think Mark's trying to convey something. And he's doing it again with fewer words than other gospels. But it's still just as effective, and it's still very powerful, and it is an incredible learning moment, because what Mark is saying is that, in this case, the messenger and the message are the same thing. Did you get that? The messenger and the message are the same thing. And that is a new teaching. That's a powerful teaching. And it's also a teaching that has some eternal ramifications for us. You know, Jesus then has his authority proved. Number one, they're surprised that he teaches with authority. And then we have in the synagogue an unclean man who's possessed by spirit. Now, normally, when we come across possession stories in the Gospels, that passage is usually about the healing that takes place. It's usually about that possessed person. This is the case where that's, this is actually an example. Not only has Mark told us that Jesus has authority, he's now going to show us that Jesus has authority and is going to do it in a very powerful way yet again because in that passage what we have and that's in verse 24 and, and, and you know, remember I said this last week but I think it's kind of ironic in Mark's gospel and the irony is you know Jesus just called his disciples and they really don't know what to think of you know, great teacher, this rabbi saying things they haven't really heard before, and they're just now looking at all the, the wonderful things Jesus is doing. But they don't know and they don't understand that Jesus really is God. They haven't gotten to that point yet. But do you know who knows that Jesus is God all the way through Mark's gospel? The demons. They know. They're not surprised, you know. They know the power of God. And so that's what we have here. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And then you hear these. I know who you are. You 
are the Holy One of God. So now we have a showdown. We have a confrontation. We got a fight right there in church, right there in the synagogue. Well, let's be honest. It's not really much of a fight. This is not a fair fight, y'all, at all. I mean, what does Jesus do? Jesus says, be silent and come out of him. Man convulses, spirit goes away. It doesn't say, and then Jesus, perspiring because he had to do so much effort to expel this evil spirit, or Jesus had to say it more than once. There's none of that. This is absolute authority and power. Jesus says it. Jesus says it once. It is done. Not only are we told that Jesus has authority, we then see that Jesus has authority. And this is powerful. I mean, Jesus not only has authority, Jesus is authority. Now, it's interesting because when Jesus uses authority, it's different than the world, than us, than how we use authority. You know, I think even so many times, even with the best of intentions, when we're given authority, sometimes, you know, we get little kickbacks for ourselves, you know? Uh, things, you know, we, we think, well, you know, I work hard. I kind of deserve this. It's not unethical, but I can see how me having authority, this might actually benefit me some. I don't have any trouble with that. You know, for Jesus, Jesus' authority was never used to better himself. Jesus' authority was never used for his own good. He always used the authority for somebody else. Now, the other thing that's happened here already in Mark's gospel is Jesus, of course, is baptized, and then he goes out and is tempted. And then the temptations, right? He finds himself, he's been fasting for 40 days, and he's hungry. Well, hey, why not use that? You're not going to do anything huge. Why don't you just take that rock and turn it into a loaf of bread, and then you're going to be fine. Or you know what? There's a lot of wealth in the world. What if you had all the wealth, Jesus? I mean, you'd probably know how to redistribute that better than anybody else. Or you know what? You really want to solve the world's problems, Jesus? Why don't you, uh, why don't you become the ruler of everything? That'll fix it. And Jesus says no to every one of those temptations. And by doing so, He's saying, I don't want authority to serve me. I came so that my authority might serve others. And why would that become important? Well, it becomes important because you remember when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he knows crucifixion is about to happen and he's praying. And what does he, what does he say? Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, thy will be done. 
In other words, he'd already turned Satan down three times. And here he is again in a vulnerable position. And instead of taking authority, he says, no, I'm going to use the power that I have to save the world. My friends, every time we look at the gospel stories, when Jesus uses Jesus' authority, good things happen for others. When Jesus uses his authority, people are healed. People are clean. The The blind can see. The lame can walk. Never do you see, oh, Jesus sprained his ankle, but that's okay. He prayed and made himself better. Jesus always used his authority for others. People are delivered from whatever it is that is possessing them. And people are giving true life because of Jesus. Now, this is interesting because this is a time, a season in the church in which we're talking about this. And the season that we're in, you'll notice our nice green stoles and our pyramids, right? And uh, people know it's the season of epiphany. And this may be one of the seasons that confuses people the most. Because we kind of, we got an idea what Advent is. You know, Advent means coming, and we're getting ready for the coming of Jesus. You know, we're giving thanks for the coming for the first time. And we also know that Jesus is coming again. So we're always kind of between two Advents. And then we have Christmas, right? Everybody knows Christmas the 12 days of Christmas, because that's how many days are in the liturgical calendar for Christmas. And then there's a big party on that last night, right? Sometimes it's called the 12th night. Shakespeare wrote a play about that. And uh, that becomes epiphany the next day. And an epiphany, if I asked you what happened biblically on epiphany, what would you say? A lot of you would go, wise men, and you'd be right. Now, when you get to the word itself, the word of epiphany, and you've probably said this before, you've probably been sitting there thinking, you know, trying to figure things out, and then you say, oh, I figured it out. I had an epiphany. Well, again, that's a correct way to use that word. But when we talk about epiphany, what we really mean is that epiphany means when God becomes visible and known to the world. And so in the baby Jesus, God became physical and known to the world. And the wise men came. And then in our text today, God in Jesus Christ is physical and known. And how do we know him? He comes with authority. He comes and he is authority. And that is the epiphany. That is that takeaway moment where we say, Jesus is powerful. Now, this is why I think this is so important. Because so many times we buy into this, that, you know what, I need to go to Sunday school, we need to go do all these things so I can learn all these secrets about Jesus, so that I can, you know, put away the wisdom You know, and I'm not going to say there's anything wrong with it, because I really think there is, but I think there's something bigger and deeper that's going on here. 
And what the bigger, the deeper is, is Jesus himself. Sometimes we lose it. That we're so much looking for the little nugget of wisdom and truth that we forget that the message and the messenger are the exact same thing. I'll tell you a story that helped me to kind of understand this. I have a dear friend who uh, has probably taught Sunday school for 40 years. And she loves teaching children's Sunday school. I even asked her one time, why children? And she said, well, when I teach adults, they always think they know it all, and it's just no fun. Okay. And and then she went on to tell me, you know, the reason God has kind of called me to be a teacher is uh, because I'm a horrible student. Oh, really? She's like, yeah, I... I, uh, I don't read my lesson, I just kind of show up, I don't do the study, but you know if I'm teaching, then I read and I study and I learn, and I become a better student. I become blessed. And then after I've done all my reading, my study and learning, what I think it means, it's so wonderful to then go to the kids and truly learn what it really means. And I thought, well, that sounds great, but I don't know that I really understand what that means. She says, well, here's an example. This just happened, is what she said. She said, you know, I was in there and we were teaching and we're talking about Jesus. And we were talking about some of the things that Jesus taught us. And I said, you know, kids, it's interesting. Here's kind of how I see this. And I gave them a metaphor. And on the metaphor, I said, you know, on one side, we have our belief and we have, you know, what we understand. And then there's a chasm And then on the other side, there's God. And we don't always understand everything about God. But God's always given us, and Jesus has always given us stone. And we take that stone, and then our job is to build a bridge across the chasm with the knowledge that Jesus gives us. And that's how we, we, and that kind of like the bridge of faith that connects everything we know to all the things that we don't know and the mysteries we might call that are in God. She said, what do you think about that analogy? Well, yeah, I I think that kind of works, right? And then she said, well, one of those kids didn't. I got called out on it. Matter of fact, the, the child said to me, teacher, I don't understand. Everything that you've taught us today I don't think Jesus has just given us stones so we can build our own bridge. She's like, yeah, well, what do you think? Well, from what you taught us, I think Jesus is the bridge. And she said, you're right. That's exactly right. My friends, Jesus is the bridge. Jesus is the bridge for our lives. And here's the thing, I don't know what is going on in your life right now, but I imagine there's some kind of illness. It could be an illness in the body, it could be one of the psyche and of the mind. It could be an illness or a sickness that sometimes manifests in our relationships. But I know there's something because there's brokenness everywhere. And so, I don't want to look you in the eye and say, here, 
Here's a pithy saying of Jesus, and if you'll just memorize this, Jesus is going to help you out of whatever the predicament and the difficulty you find yourself. What I'd rather say is, no, here's Jesus. Jesus is the message and the messenger. Jesus is the bridge. From wherever you are in your brokenness to fullness and wholeness and health. A bridge from death to life. Golly, gospel of Mark. It's a profound gospel, isn't it? There's a lot there, just a few, a few verses. But my friends, I invite you. I invite you to say, you know what? I don't know everything. I can't remember everything that Jesus said, but I can remember this. Jesus is the bridge. Jesus is the connection. Jesus is the authority. Jesus is the power. And Jesus is the one who I need to go to to help me in my brokenness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.